You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Well, good morning wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, the 1st of November. First Tuesday in November means only one thing. I'm at Flemington Racecourse in Melbourne, having witnessed my first Melbourne Cup live at the event, first trip to Australia. It was a gruelling race, and it was won by a horse formerly trained in Europe, once fourth in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, now trained by the training behemoth that is the joint forces of Kieran Maher and David Eustace, Englishman David Eustace, son of Newmarket trainer James, the horse's name, Gold Trip. He was the ready winner of the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Disappointment for the two British Raiders. Dover Legend ran a very creditable race in fourth, having travelled very strongly and then just emptied late, having tried to chase a pretty strong pace and without a fight, who was even more prominently placed, ended up fading right out of contention for the Chrisfords. Grace Ramage, Racing.com. Uh, broadcaster and Australian racing expert was alongside me for the first half of this Melbourne Cup Carnival. Grace, thank you for putting up with me. What did you make of the day as a whole? Freezing cold. Very cold, Nick, but I think we had a lot of fun on the whole as we did on Derby Day as well. Look, what I make of the race itself, because obviously this is our race, every single household in all of the nation is focusing in at 3pm each and every first Tuesday of the year to watch the Melbourne Cup but this was a staying test in the heavy ground ultimately it's been raining all day you mentioned it's absolutely arctic in terms of the weather that we have here but because of the heavy ground it really was a a slog of a two mile event and ultimately we've seen the best stamina horse the classiest horse come out on top and I think it's a really fitting result we did see that there was a lot of early tempo in the race. They set it alight once again, sort of at the 1,000 metre mark. And we saw those prominent first, second and third settle toward the rear of the field. They stormed home. I thought Gold Troop was such a deserving winner of the race given given the placement of this horse. It's rare these days for a horse to run in all three of our big feature races, the Caulfield Cup, the Cox Plate and the Melbourne Cup. He almost won a Caulfield Cup. He was unlucky in a Cox Plate and now he's won a Melbourne Cup. So he is such a deserving winner. Kiramar and David Eustace are elite trainers, especially when it comes to conditioning, staying horses for staying I mean, races. it was only a matter of time before they won one, wasn't oh, it? And they had five horses in the race this year. So in terms of their representation, they train horses for races like this. So fantastic to see them win. Mark Zara, a fantastic jockey world-class jockey uh of course very elegant as a horse he's had a great association with couldn't ride her to victory in the melbourne cup last year but he got redemption today yeah it seemed a very popular victory as far as as far as he was concerned i i thought his patience was was really quite striking because you often see all of the jockeys make a wild move at some point in this race but he just waited and waited and waited a bit longer and he just trusted the horse because he knows the horse really well and he would have been so happy with the rain that we've had throughout the day because we know that Gold Trip loves rain-affected going. So when the rain was coming, he was probably the only person at Flemington that was excited about that proposition. Um, And he just trusted the horse and knew that he had an engine and obviously he was feeling great and travelling underneath him. And when he let him rip, 
Uh, it was in fact Emissary who sort of came up to challenge, but he he found again he had another gear which he was able to get to to secure victory. The Doville Legend looked like he was going to win by half a dozen lengths at the two pole. I will say I think Doville Legend was fantastic in defeat in defeat because if you go back and watch the replay, he did hit the front almost right at the top of the of the straight. You know he he was exposed from a long way out, and given the way and and the, where the first, second, and third place getters have come from. He was the one that was closest to that grueling tempo early, so I think he's he was extremely admirable in defeat. And, and just thinking of, of the the rest of the story of the race, if you like, unseasonably cold temperatures, a biting wind, pouring rain. Can I can I hope for more next year, or is this just the effect of climate change? Well, I think it's the effect of one Nick Luck arriving <laughs> to Melbourne because I know that you're heading off to the USA tomorrow and I can tell you that the remainder of this week is getting up towards 28 degrees so thank you for coming and bringing this storm cell uh, I hope you take it back back to the US with you on your next voyage <laughs> alright that's it from Melbourne for the moment Grace thank you uh, we are going to go all around the world uh, surely you'll be hearing from Jane Mangan about what's happening uh, in Europe but first of all the Breeders' Cup draw took place in Keeneland it was hosted by Rishi Passad sometimes of this podcast and my NBC colleague Brittany Erton and uh, with news on the draw uh, here first of all is uh, Michelle Yu who will be uh, co-hosting the Players Show for the Breeders' Cup at the end of the week Michelle Thanks Lucky Watching the draw today, I felt like it was, I don't want to say anticlimactic, but when you're looking at a race like the Classic, it didn't really matter. It was a compact field, and it wasn't like anyone was going to get hung way outside. So overall, you know, did Flightline want to be outside? Life is good, sure, but if they had drawn the one hole, I don't think that they would have been overly upset. I just think it in this particular configuration with this group of horses at the mile and a quarter, post position might not be all that important. I think in a couple of races, it did prove to be a little disappointing for some horses people might like. Noticeably in the juvenile turf sprint, um, when I spoke to Ocean Ora this morning, he had said, I really want to be in, you know, an inside stall, maybe one through six-ish. And she drew towards the the outside, not towards the outside, the outside. She drew the 12 hole. I think that's probably really disappointing for them because now not only is she going to have to show the foot that she generally does, but she likes to run on the rail. And that's a long way to cut across to get over there. And there's going to be fast horses to her inside. So I think that just sets her up for a really rough trip with a lot of ground loss in that particular situation situation. Um, also, I know that Chad Brown was not happy with domestic spending drawing the 14 hole. In fact, I was talking to him afterwards and he put his basically put his head in his hands and said, oh my gosh, it almost makes me want to scratch because he was so disappointed with him being on the outside. So in the undercard races, quote unquote, you know, not the classic, there were some maybe disappointing draws, but I think in the classic, the distaff, um, we just didn't, didn't really care where horses wound up and it really showed in the reactions that we got from the crowd. Um, but overall, I thought the draw itself was very fun and it kept on going. It was very quick and it was a really cool arena to be in. Literally, we were in Rupp Arena, which is the basketball arena for the University of Kentucky down here. So a very popular venue, but it was unlike anything that we've ever done to have the draw in for Breeders' Cup. And it was 
cool. Like you're in this basketball arena that's normally full of all these screaming fans and it was all horse racing people watching horse racing people on the big screen and hearing racing come across the loudspeakers. So overall, it was a super fun and different experience to be in this really great venue and talk about the sport we love. Um, looking forward to now getting just getting to this weekend. I think that everyone's excited that the draw is done with and we can move on with the handicapping and the preparations. All right, Michelle, for the moment, thank you. Michelle will be back very shortly with a whole raft of connections from some of the big races, including uh, connections of Flightline and Life is Good. So lots to look forward to there. But first of all, let's check in on the domestic scene, what's been happening there. Jane Mangan is reporting from Ireland. Thanks, Nick. Like many of us here at home, I was up at 4am to watch the Melbourne Cup unfold and to see goal trip down the outside, race wide into the bend. It didn't matter that turn of speed he showed for Kieran Maher, David Eustace and Mark Zara. Well done to all connected with goal trip. Here at home, we'll take a little bit of pride at the first two home goal trip in a mystery or European breads. And nine years ago, the sire of goal trip outstrip was winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf for Charlie Appleby and Godolphin. And of course, now with the Melbourne Cup done and dusted, the focus will definitely turn to the Breeders' Cup. That barrier draw, the the stalls were revealed last night. And if you were Richard Fahey, you would be fair to think that you might have been a little bit jinxed. He's ha- He's got two runners, two intended runners at the Breeders' Cup and both drew stalls 12 of 14. The Platinum Queen in the Juvenile Turf Sprint, 12 of 12, dramatised the Mount of Ryan Moores in four, Lady Hollywood and Love Reigns in one and two. But the Platinum Queen, I'm a big fan of hers, but it's not a good draw in a sprint to be drawn 12. The Classic itself... Only eight runners, so it's not going to be too detrimental for Flavie and Pratt to be drawn four right in the centre and flight line. Life is good in Taba in two and one. And of course, the Kentucky Derby winner in eight, Rich Strike. Uh, the European challenge, well, the turf, we'll start with the turf. Stone Age and Ryan Moore is alongside Broom and Irad Ortiz in three and four. Rebels, Romance and Nations Pride for Godolphin are in five and seven. And Mishri, Frankie Dettori gets stall 11, Highland Chief in 15 of 15 for the Breeders' Cup turf. The Mile Modern Games and William Buick, they'll start in three. Dream Loper, Kieran Schumark in four. Uh, Pogo, James Doyle from stall one. And Kinross gets a wide draw in 13 of 14 in the mile. The Phillies and Mares, Nashua for Holly Doyle. Above the curve and Tuesday, all three, four and five. I think Nashua is probably going to be okay from there. You probably want to be a little bit wider than three, but she'll be good enough to hold her position. You would imagine Toy with Wayne Lordnon in seven and Mise-en-Seine um, will be in six for Kieran Fallon. The juvenile Phillies turf meditate gets 10 of 14. Spirit Gala could run a big race of big odds for Willie Willie. Brown, that's in stall seven. And of course, I mentioned Midnight Mile. That will be the Mount of Wayne Lorden for Richard Fahey in 12. Victoria Road, box seat in one. That'll be tough in the juvenile turf for Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore. Um, and in the turf sprint, Highfield Princess, Jason Hart will break from stall six on John Quinn's brilliant filly. Golden Pal will be in eight um, and Naval Crown in nine. Creative Force in one and Flotus in two. So there's a mixed bag in the draw. I just think that Richard Fahey, I'm, 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 I'm hoping that you can overcome those two wide draws. It is going to be a challenge. Here at home, 
Yesterday, we thought that the most significant piece of of news would come from Noble Yates, the Aintree Grand National winner, returning to winning form at Wexford. The Mount of Sean Bone. It's a big ride for Sean to get this year. It looks like he came over to Wexford to ride the horse with a view to riding him for the season for Emmett Mullins. He beat Hurricane Georgie five lengths in good fashion and looks like a horse that isn't just going to be a national winner. He's going to do much more than that. Um, Colin Keane nabbed one back to go level with Billy Lee. He rode a 28 to 1 winner yesterday at Galway. Um he break, he draws on 89-89 with three meetings left to run, but of course Billy Lee is suspended for those last two meetings. He's suspended for Dundalk on Friday and the last day of the turf season here uh, at Nace on Sunday, but he has that appeal before racing at Dundalk tomorrow. So let's see how that appeal goes. But of course None of that was the main headlines when we found out after the 2.15 at Galway yesterday, just your regular run-of-the-mill seven furlong three-year-old maiden, that Kevin Manning, the evergreen 55-year-old Kevin Manning, who joined Jim Bulger in 1978, would hang up his boots after winning on vocal studies. Kevin Manning, one of the steadfast characters of the Wayroom, he rode for over 40 years. He rode 36 Group 1 winners. He rode 1,700 winners and counting. He took over from Christy Roach as Jim Bulger's stable jockey back in 1993 and went on to ride horses like Finchgale, Bio, Alexander Goldrun, Teofilo, Poetic Flair most recently. Of course, he won the Epsom Derby on New Approach and he's been on all of Jim Bulger's brilliant horses ever since. So he's been one of the most consistent and brilliant riders described yesterday as Jim Bulger in the pantheon of jockeys, he is right up there with the very best. I had the satisfaction of knowing that he was never beaten on one that should have won. He rarely made mistakes, and that is very important. So I'm very pleased to say that Kevin Manning has taken the time to join me this morning to tell us a little bit more about his decision and how it came about. Good morning, Kevin. How was your breakfast this morning? Yeah, it was good, Jane. Uh... Didn't have to go near the scales, and that was a big, a big, a big, a big plus. A big difference. It's is it the first time in in many, many decades you haven't had to worry about something like that? I'd say it's the first time in forty years that I got up and didn't actually wonder what way they am or go near wind scales. Um, and that's something to get used to. So yesterday, Galway rain teeming down, heavy ground. At what stage did Kevin Manning think? I think this will be the last time. Uh, to be honest, when I played a winning post, I said to myself, will I, won't I, will I, won't I? And even then I wasn't sure. And I came in and popped on off the horse and turned two and said, I have three more good rides. Will I stay going or will I call it a day? And then I said, call it a day. And that was it. And that was it. And uh, a mundane day, Galway, turned into something a little bit more special. So you've uh, been with Jim for many, many years. I think it was 1978 you walked into Jim Bulger's yard? even that long um, yeah it was, it was I was I was um, part time I was only 13 or something and, and I used to go there on the weekends and school holidays um, started there actually Peter Schoolman was there at the time and um, some some great guys were, were, were there Willie Mullins and so on I could say her name and name them forever but uh, yeah it's a long time ago you put in the long yards at Jim Boulders. You were mucking out stables as a teenager. You eventually, your champion apprentice 
1983 and then 10 years later you take over from Christy Roach that was a that must have been a huge deal in your career at the time yeah that was a massive a massive deal and um, you know to take over from Christy was fantastic fantastic guy to work with and uh, to be around and always held him in the, in the very highest regard and learned so much so much from from, from Christy and to take over from was a was a was, yeah, it was a big, a big, a big deal. I'd say it was 1994. Eva Luna would have been a, a big deal as well. She set you on your first of 36 Group One wins. There's been brilliant horses have come since then. A personal favourite of mine, I must say, uh, uh, Finchgale Bio was one of those that she nearly won three guineas. She went from Newmarket to the Curra to France in in a, spa- a very short space of time, only to get denied in France. But um, I'm not going to ask you for any particular horse, but. Any any standout memories over the years? Epsom must have been special as well. Yeah, Epsom was very special. It's one of those races I think that you you from from a very young age that you watch watch and dream of. And um, even to you know to start off when you get a, when you get a ride in Epsom Derby is a big deal, and then to to, to, to win one is is, is massive. Um, but I just, you know I, I, I don't want to stand out. Where there's just you know there's great memories behind all the. The big winners of Rodans, some of the smaller ones, there's you know, little stories and, and memories of them all. And just, I'd hate to pick out one individual, they were just, just all, all, all great days and just great horses. And no doubt the fact that you were combining with family made it all the more special. The longest standing partnership I think racing has seen in my lifetime and beyond is Jim Boulder and Kevin Manning. So, what's next? Are you going to take a holiday? Are yourself and Una going to? unwind or is Claire going to start uh, cracking the whip now and making you uh, muck out stables at home again? Well, she's been doing that for a little while already, so that'd be nothing new. But now on a, on a, we're just going just gonna to unwind for, for a few days and just see what what, what unfolds. As I said, no, I know I'm going racing yesterday and um, have no plans for the future. So just, just see what... what what unfolds see what unfolds breakfast lunch and dinner enjoy Kevin Manning it's been a pleasure to watch you thanks Jane thank you very much appreciate it well my thanks to Jane and thanks to Kevin Manning now back to America and Michelle who's been hoovering up connections at the Breeders Cup draw and let's start with the trainer of the great flight line John Sadler and his reaction to his uh, his stall in four uh, we, we thought the draw was a good draw. Yeah. I mean, you know, we thought any post would really be good. Probably don't want the one, you know, just so you might get bumped around coming out of the gate. But four is a perfectly good draw. John, what's it like to just have a target on your back? I mean, you're the horse to beat, but everyone is just eyeballing you. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing I can do about that. I've got the horse well prepared, um, and he's a top horse, so we'll let all that take care of itself. Anything that concerns you for race day? No. Just beautiful stuff from John Sadler. Simplistic and brutal there in his execution of that final question. One of the ownership interests in Flightline is West Point Thoroughbreds. Their supremo is Terry Finley. Michelle caught up with him as well and asked him how he was really getting his head around the magnitude of this experience. I try, I've been trying that because you're not the first person to have asked that. Um, I can't wait for Saturday to get here, but I wanted to go slowly. I, I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but... Um, you know, we're, we're in a great spot. I mean, he gives us all energy and, uh, and the confidence, I think, to help us through the week. But it'll be a long couple of days uh, waiting for Saturday. 
Now, John said not really a concern regardless about the draw. What are your feelings? Did you just trust the trainer, or did you have anything that you were thinking beforehand? No, I definitely I would have. I, I definitely wanted to draw outside of mm-hmm. uh, life is good. And, you know, it, I, I said to myself, like, there's never easy. Like, it's never easy because we were – there were two spots left, the seven and the two, and I, I you know, I, I hoped – uh, that the life is good drew the two. I mean, he's going to be a formidable foe. I, I've said to a couple people, like, to underestimate uh, Todd Pletcher. Mm-hmm. Right? Todd Pletcher's been thinking about this weekend probably for the last six months, if not longer. Mm-hmm. So, to under, I think you underestimate Todd Pletcher at your own peril. Right. And we are not. I, I know. I know. John. Obviously, he's got a good bit of confidence, but I know he is not taking any of those horses in particular life is good lightly. Terry is it hard also to make a decision about persevering and continuing to race him after ever, like he hasn't done a ton right I mean race record wise like do you want to just say let's just race him no matter what but then there's that other side where he's just so valuable as a stallion. Yeah it's it's a conundrum like we've I've, I've never faced like mm-hmm. it it depends like I'll I'll have it in the last month I've had days where I'd be like there's no way I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna fight tooth and nail right. to try to get him to bring back. And then, uh, l- like the next day, you're like, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> and you you try to get to to a spot where it's it's insane. Mm-hmm. But we're having a hard time getting to the point where it's even insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look, I mean, we're gonna meet as a group, uh, as a partnership, on a Sunday morning, and uh, we'll figure it out there. But. Um, I don't mean to sound like, you know, any of the NFL coaches, but we're really focused on Saturday. Well, I do want to actually persevere past Saturday real quick, though. You guys are actually selling 2.5% of flight line. I, I don't know if this has ever happened where literally the best horse in the world you can buy a share of. I mean, it's not a big yeah. share, but it is a share. And I know that the percentage is coming from you. From you, were the, you were the one that was thoughtful enough to give this up. Yeah. Uh, tell me what went into that. Well, I'll give credit to all the credit to Bill Ferris and, and to Keeneland. Um, and I, they they came up over the summer, and I think they were both thinking about doing something that was outside the box, and all of a sudden they just kind of came together and said, wait a second, we're both thinking about it. And then after after the, uh, you know, out in California, that that tour de force in the Pacific Classic, I think it's it started to pick up some steam. So we cobbled together. Uh, you, you know, we have seven partners, and a couple of them just – I threw in 0.5 percent, 0.8 percent. So we we cobbled together a share, and, and they, I, I said this could be an opportunity, um, you know, to go and to put this in front. And you know, I I think from the um, you know the uh, the anticipation and uh, the interest around the world, I think we're in for a fun day. Uh, it's what 12 o'clock on uh, Monday after the Breeders' Cup, and. I also uh, I spent a couple hours last night with the the goggles and the metaverse, uh, and yes, I, I like it a lot. I like that <laughs> Oculus a lot, and you know they've done a really good job. If if uh, you get a chance to uh, put a, a you know set of of Oculus on, um, it is a really cool. It's a cool environment, and uh, I, I don't know if if the metaverse is going to impact the final price, mm-hmm. but it can't hurt. I don't want to. I don't want to pinpoll you and ask you what you think you're, it's going to bring. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I do want to ask you, who do you think is going to buy? Is it a breeder? Is it um, a million fans each pitching in a dollar? What do you think? Yeah. Um, 
I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, what three million fans <laughs> pitching in a dollar. <laughs> Five million fans pitching know, in a dollar. I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan, and I I bought a ticket about ten years ago to to meet him at the Kentucky Derby up in the mansion. And I guess he had been there for twenty years, and that turned out to be the year that he went on his honeymoon. So I'm saying Michael Jordan. I'm pony up. I mean, three million plus, and buy this horse. I'd love to be your partner. So who on paper is the key danger to Flightline? Well, it's probably Life is Good, a horse that's talked up so much by those closest to him and even his previous trainer, Bob Baffert, who incidentally saddles Tabor in this year's Breeders' Cup Classic. The current trainer of this horse, Life is Good, is Todd Pletcher. Michelle's been talking to him as well and began by asking him about his draw two to the inside of Flightline in Stall 2. Well, life is good. Tip typically jumps really well, and uh, you know, I would, if he does again, then you know, it's going to give Irad the opportunity to kind of take a look over and see what's going on. And really, you know, this is a this is a riders' race, so they're going to determine, you know, how fast they're going and who's going to make the first move and those kind of things. So we'll get a little time to see how the track's playing on Friday and Saturday, and come up with a strategy as we get closer to the race. Well, I feel like everyone's just kind of pigeonholing you into going right to the front is what they all expect. But I feel like listening to you now, it's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we can always come up with our strategy. You don't always know what everyone else is going to do. So I think that's why you put guys like Irad on board that, that's capable of making some split-second decisions when the gate open. Is it kind of nice to be able to take it to a horse like Flightline from two angles. You've got Life is Good with some more pace, and then you've got Happy Saver that could maybe pick up some pieces behind him. Yeah, Happy Saver could benefit if the pace gets really fast up front. You know, he's he's the type of horse that'll settle somewhere towards mid-pack and just kind of let John Velasquez decide, you know, how fast they're going and how much he wants to let them settle. And then, uh, you know, he would need things to, to set up just right and horses come back to him a bit. Let's talk about your girls. Malathat drawing the inside as well. Are you a that's the shortest way around kind of guy or you are it's the dreaded one hole kind of guy? Well, I mean, I, I don't mind it as much going a mile and an eighth. And uh, if she's able to save some ground around the first turn, that'd be great. And then John Velasquez hopefully worked his way into a clear position down the backside and go from there. I just want to tell you, uh, I, walked, I talked with you earlier about how much you walk 15,000 steps one day. Uh, we got it calculated. That was seven miles. Do you feel trim and fit? I don't feel trim. I don't feel fit. And, uh, but, you know, it did uh, serve its purpose, hopefully, and got in, uh, got in a little bit of, uh, of exercise while still uh, watching your horses train. Uh, really quick, I want to touch on Annapolis, too. I feel like he's just getting zero attention, and he's coming in in really sharp form. He's in great form. I think having a win over the track in the Coolmore Mile is super important. And, uh, you know, I mean, the competition gets even a little bit tougher here, but he beat a really high-quality group of older horses in there. And uh, if we get good weather and the turf course stays firm, I I think, you know, he proved that he likes it. I I mean, coming towards the end of the year, this is when horses can really turn a page and develop. This is a great time for some people to make money on a horse like Annapolis. Yeah, I mean, I think if you take a position on a horse like that, with a, you know, you're going to get a very square price. It's such a deep field, and you know, he's uh, he seems like he's really, really coming into his best at the right time. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Bill Strauss joining me, one of the co-owners of Hot Rod Charlie. Thanks, Bill. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and 
You know, I didn't realize Nick wasn't here until you told me. He wasn't even missed, and he's 8,000 miles away. When you have Richie Versailles, what are you going to do? I mean, you don't need Nick Luck, right? Exactly. Nick, I uh, guess he's going to be here, and hopefully we'll actually n- notice that he arrived. Maybe. You might have to wait in line behind him at the buffet. <laughs> I, I, that's that's something that I always have to do. Well, he's a skinny guy. I don't mind hiding behind skinny guys at buffets. <laughs> Nobody wants to hide behind me, though. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about Hot Rod Charlie. Yeah. Big round of applause when his post position got drawn. Was that a number you guys wanted? You know, it wasn't so much a number that we were hoping for. Mm-hmm. It was to be outside of those two speed horses, those two ah. freaks. And so once we were outside and not too far outside, that was like a perfect draw position for us. But I can tell you, honestly, the cheering didn't come from his connections. It came from the fans. <laughs> I mean, it really, it came from the fans. He's just a people's horse. It's the craziest thing in the world. Now, it would have came from us if the boat racing guys were here, but they don't roll in until Wednesday. Wait, wait, speaking of the boat racing guys, I got to say, Hot Rod Charlie paid for a lot of champagne for me in Dubai. So, like, just selfishly, if you guys win i'm looking forward to saturday night yeah well for sure saturday night we win saturday night well you have more champagne you know what to do with <laughs> uh, let's just talk about the the ride that he's taken you on yeah. it's been a once in a lifetime ride you know having a horse right mm-hmm. whether it's being a, a tr- you know a triple clown classic horse with a, a legitimate derby chance when you get into this game even if you never think about the derby you think about the derby right. it's always in the back of your mind and to actually get on that trail and i had some grade one winners before that and really good horses it's a different level of competition. It's a different level of everything. It's just an amazing experience. And then after that, then you go to all the grade one races around the country. Then you get invited to Dubai where you win one and you run second, the second richest race in the world. And, you know, shakes, you're meeting shakes and talking to shakes. It's just, it's just an unbelievable ride. It, and, you know, it brings family and friends in where you might not see them. And it's hard to describe what it is. And it's something you can't imagine as you go into this sport, you know, to, to, to buy some horses. You just can't imagine. Why is Charlie the people's horse? What is it about him? Because, I mean, it's not like he's won 10 in a row. He throws down. Is that it? People just like a, a, tenace, a tenacious horse? Well, he hasn't run 10 in a row. He's probably run second 10 in a row. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, we, we talk about that all the time. Why? I think there's a few reasons. One is it's a great name. It's a catchy name. Uh, as well as... He's a blue-collar horse, right? Doesn't necessarily have the talent of a flight line or life is good. He's not as flashy. But his heart is as big as anything, and he just tries every time. And I think normal people can relate to a blue-collar kind of worker that just tries. He's not regally bred. Mm-hmm. He just tries so hard, and I think people get it. I think they just, you, I think people just gravitate towards it. Does it give you a little bit of confidence knowing that he ran a monster race the last time Breeders' Cup was at Keeneland? Yeah, look, I mean, he's training great. He really ran very well here with Tyler on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just ran a great race. He didn't run like he was 94 to 1. Um, so, yeah, it gives us confidence that we know he likes the track. He tr- he's, been, he's been here since June, mm-hmm. except to travel for a couple races. He's training over it. He trains brilliantly over it. I mean, people aren't talking about his work on Saturday because we all watched, you know. Right. Uh, life but his work was brilliant mm-hmm. it was just brilliant it's just not as flashy as some of these other ones but he look he's as ready as he can be as usual doug and his team have done a great job getting him ready and you know it's up to the racing gods at this point all right there bill strauss not missing me much but i don't mind because he called me a skinny guy so clearly um eyesight not great but hot rod charlie with hopes of a a place chance in the in the breeders cup classic perhaps let's check in now again with Michelle and the trainer of one of the stories of the season, one of the stories of the decade, Rich Strike, the Kentucky Derby winner. What a glorious renaissance it's been of late. This is what he had to say. Well, we had a number of things that Rick uh, and I discussed and 
Um, a lot of this is about fun, mm -hmm. um, and, and we think that Richie deserves a shot to take on these horses. I mean, we know it's it's asking a lot, but um, there's a lot of things at stake for three-year-olds. And Rick Rick Dawson, um, he's already won a great big race this year, so he's in it for some fun now. And he wanted to do this, and I think it's the right decision. Now. Should I be concerned that his biggest races have really come at Churchill Downs, including his 17-length maiden score? Well, he definitely likes that track, but really the only track he's run poorly at was Belmont, and I believe, blame myself for that, so um, we'll just see how things go. What about his attitude? He got so much um, press after the Kentucky Derby for the pony incident. Is he better, different? Has he developed? Yeah, mentally he's, he's, he's fantastic. I mean, he's never had an issue like that before or since, and I just believe that was one of the heat of the battle things where, um, you know, he had just fought for his life against 20 horses, and um, he, he, he thought it was over, and up in front of him is another horse coming to take him away. So uh, I blame that on, on just the heat of the battle. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Appreciate you. Well, it is Tuesday, and wherever you are in the world, and whatever time it happens to be Tuesday, it is the day where we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, who very shortly will be publishing their brand new Stallion book. It's a great pleasure to check in with a, a man that they call The Stallion Man, because that's what he does. He sources them for a whole range of clients across Europe, and uh, amongst some of his great successes, Walk in the Park, Blue Brazil, Suleimani Planter, The Grey Gatsby, Gentle Wave and many, many more. He is, of course, Richard Venn. Richard, um, hello to you. An exciting time of the year? Yes, hi, Nick. I uh, hope you're well. Uh, yeah, it is a very exciting time of the year. Um, well, I've done a lot of the work, a lot of the groundwork already. Um, a lot of deals have been done. And um, now I'm still, well, I'm still actually looking for a few orders to fill. Um, but uh, we'll see how we get on. So how did it come about as a as a bloodstock agent that you really began to make your name as someone who brokered stallion deals? How did it all sort of come together? Um, well, I suppose um, it started off in about... I started out myself in 2007 after spending eight years with Anthony Stroud. And um, I all of a sudden got involved with a guy in France and uh, a guy called Jeremy Bossett who wouldn't buy that many stallions but we we tried to buy croco rouge and uh through trying to buy croco rouge i met dave sutter uh, of yorton farm and um we managed to buy croco rouge uh, i think you know the horse nick i think you knew him by another name um and um dave and i used to well we talked a lot and uh we decided that it would be nice to try and find a replacement and another horse so we went on a journey together um and that's really where it started um dave and i have sort of you know progressed equally well and um and it all started through there actually funny enough i remember our very first trip which was to a place in northern France, uh, we went and saw a horse called Alberto Giacometti, who was for sale. And uh, we were told that he was a certain height and he was a nice horse. And anyway, so Dave drove down to me in Newmarket. We drove over for the day, went to northern France and were shown this horse that, quite frankly, was about 15-1. Um, he had a shocking parrot mouth on him. We subsequently found out that he was savage. And... Um, Obviously, we didn't do the deal. And I remember Dave saying on the way back, he said, Rich, I think we ought to do a bit more research before we go out and see these horses. <laughs> so that's really how it all started. 
it's fair to say you had a lot of successes with him subsequent to that. And it struck me the Absolutely. other, yeah, struck me the other day that we are in this era of um, relatively few brilliant two-mile hurdlers, but we've got two of them at the moment. They were both bred in Britain, and they're both by stallions that you sourced for Dave. Suleimani and Blue Brazil, the size respectively of Honeysuckle and Constitution Hill. That must give you a, a lot of pleasure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think Suleimani was was underrated. Um, you still see his produce. I know, obviously, he died a, a few years ago, but I think he was actually a sad loss because, OK, he wasn't the best horse confirmationally, um, but he had the heart of a lion, and he's thrown that through many of his offspring. And Honeysuckle, I suppose, is a, an absolutely beaming advertisement for him. Um, he was tough as teak, and um, and she is as well, and many of his progeny are. And and Blue Brazil's been nothing short of a of a phenomenon. Tell me the story about about finding him. I know you had your eyes on him for a little while, didn't you? But could you have imagined he'd have been he he'd have turned out as well as he has? No, absolutely not. Um, when we, uh, in fairness, Dave and I went and saw him at um, when he was standing at um, Le Croissonnet. Uh, they've changed names now uh, the, of the of the actual start. But anyway, Dave and I went and saw him. Dave loved the horse. Um, and he was a real proper national hunt type stallion. Um, and Dave fell in love with him. And uh, we then proceeded to try and buy him. And every time we, we asked, uh, we were turned down, we were turned back. And then all of a sudden there was a change in the um, family. Uh, I think there was a, I think that somebody died or was seriously ill. And as a consequence, they came back to us and said, we could now buy him. So the deal was done. Um, and I remember thinking at the time when Dave bought him, I actually said, Dave, do you think he's good enough? You know, we, we're not, we weren't quite sure because he hadn't had that many results. But of course, he's proved a revelation. And um, uh, he's obviously, as, as you know, everybody knows he's gone to, gone to um, the Cashman family and he's covered many, many mares and done incredibly well and uh, just been a superstar. But interestingly, um, the really good one was, was, was uh, bred and reared at Yorton Farm. When you go out and, and look for a stallion, often you're, you're filling orders, so you're, you're looking for, for something specific in terms of possibly distance requirements and, and to fulfil commercial demand. But when you're looking at a, a horse physically to do a certain job, what criteria do you, do you require? Nick, the important thing is you like to have a horse that's good looking, that moves well, confirmationally is correct, has the right size, a good hind leg, you know, all the important aspects really, and also a good temperament. A temperament is so important with a stallion. And you find they will pass on they will pass on their good points, they will pass on things they don't have, but a lot of the time they will pass on their temperament. If you have a horse that has a good temperament and uh, who tried on the race course and who was sound on the racetrack, then normally he'll, he'll pass that on and usually it, you get what's on the tin. You know, a, a, a sound racehorse that, that has a good mind, a good, you know, good racing brain will pass that on. I mean, clearly you've had a, a lot of successes, some less successful. That goes with the territory. What are you most excited about right now in 2022? Can you, can you give us a few revelations and, and horses that you've been involved with, or are you, or you're getting involved with that that might take you through the, the next chapter? Well, uh, I was recently involved in the deal to purchase Mare Australis uh, for Pascal Nerva de Letre. 
Um, he is uh, the most gorgeous horse. Um, he's 16 3. Uh, he's a beautiful colour. He's um, a very dark chestnut. He is a very attractive, very good looking horse. Lovely moving horse. Um, apparently, a very good judge in, in Shanti said he is the best looking horse in Shanti. So uh, he, he could be very exciting. I know Pascal's very excited about him. Um, some other lesser lights, I really like a horse called Waltz Attacks, who's um, a chapel stud owned by Simon Davis. Um, didn't cover many mares this year, but I think breeders really need to have a look at him because he's getting winners in France. He gets a lovely model uh, and they try. And um, they, they've already shown on the racetrack that, uh, or they have shown on the racetrack that that they can, you know, run at a decent level. And I think, you know, he'll get more and more winners, absolutely, and and better horses. But he needs to be given a chance. And we we ought to just recognise and acknowledge the fact that you said I used to be quite rude about Croco Rouge and call him Crocker something else, but that which is I, I have to hold my hands up, and it is true, very juvenile and very unkind to you. However, you had the last laugh when Croco Bay popped up at Cheltenham that time at 66 to 1. And I did think, well, with all these stallions, it's it's often just a function of opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they, sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. Obviously, what we want to do is, is make them successful. We want successful stallions. But it takes a few years as well. And not only do you, does it take a few years, but you need the support and the important thing is getting the mares into them. If they don't get the mares, then they are at a disadvantage. And there are some signs that that don't get the opportunities they deserve, but have shown that they can improve a mare. I mean, Estijo would be an, an example of a very good horse. So Tunis had very, very limited opportunities. Uh, he's now moved to Aradelion. He'll get plenty of mares there, I'm sure. But he's an interesting horse. He's quite age now quite a uh, i think he's 17 or something like that or 17 next year but uh, there are plenty of horses out there i think that go under the radar that people ignore because they're not fashionable for one reason or another but sometimes you just got to look at their results and see what they can what they're capable of producing and particularly from the mares they've covered um Bathron's another example Bathron would have got pretty moderate mares when he started out at Arizona he got a good book a good book of number wise but he is just producing winners he's a winner, winning producing machine and I was actually speaking to Guillaume McCare today and he said Bathron will give plenty of winners and that's what he does and um and they keep going and they improve so he's another horse I think that really needs to be looked at a winner-producing machine. Richard Venn, thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Enjoy the Melbourne Cup. All right, then. Well, thanks to uh, all my guests today. Uh, and thanks to, to Richard just there. Um, Grace Ramage still with me here at a, a freezing Flemington. <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed my time here in Australia. Uh, you can hear they're, they're still having plenty of fun. The party's continuing. Um, what have you got to look forward to for the rest of the week? You've got an amazing day on Saturday, haven't you? We do. So we've got Oaks Day on Thursday. That's the traditional feature race for the three-year-old fillies out to the 2,500 metres on the third day of the carnival, the Thursday. 
And then Saturday, uh, this final day of the carnival, we've got three Group 1 races, each of them at Wait for Age. So, you know, the Melbourne Cup's obviously our most famous race, but it's under handicapped conditions. Well, we've got the best of the best coming to Flemington on Saturday. And we'll be seeing Nature Strip, of course, who was so, so good back over in the UK and at Royal Ascot. He takes on Giga Kick, who was the three-year-old unbeaten. He beat him last time. They go head-to-head down the famous Flemington Strait on Saturday. And we've got uh, the Cox Plate winner in Animo going back to the 2,000 metres here and a host of other great weight for age horses at the mile too. So the Champion Stakes Day, what it is now known as the Saturday, is going to be a world-class race meeting and I cannot wait for all of the action. And while you are enjoying that, I will be enjoying Flightline scooting clear of his rivals in the in the Breeders' Cup Classic worth $6 million at Keeneland. I think they call this the perfect trip. It is honestly, I don't know how you've done it, but you should try and do this every year, Nick. Now that you've done it once, you know you can do it. I expect to see you at the start of November in Melbourne and then straight over to the US. Grace, you're a superstar. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. It will not surprise you that I will be uh, in the air tomorrow, so I cannot do this. Tom will be back tomorrow. I will be back, however, bright and early from Keeneland on Thursday. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.